Welcome to the Talking Serverless Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Jones, joined today by Ben Ellerby, VP of Engineering at Theodo and an AWS Serverless Hero. Ben is an avid writer, presenter, and community event organizer for the Serverless User Group in London and Serverless Days London. How are you doing today, Ben? Not too bad, Ryan. How about yourself? Yeah, doing pretty good. Uh, I think it's a good Friday here in the US, so I uh, can't complain. <laughs> yeah, we've got the day off in the UK as well, so yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're really excited to have you on. Um, I know that I've talked to you very briefly before, and so I think that you know the different perspective that you have on serverless and, and where you're coming from on, on it is going to be really good for our listeners. All right, so what I like to do when I'm first getting started with one of these podcasts, I'd like to get an idea for the background of the guests and how they actually got started in tech and then how they got to where they are currently. Do you mind giving some perspective to the listeners? Yeah, sure. So in terms of how I got into tech, I originally started getting into visual basic coding back when I was in high school and then studied computer science at Southampton uh, before then going on to IBM for a little while and then leaving sort of the big corporate IT uh, style company to go to the startup world where I joined Theodore when we launched in the UK after we came over from France, um, worked a bit in the French office, and then I've been working at Theodore ever since, uh, working with you know small startups, launching their sort of initial MVPs, uh, to moving really quickly, delivering to production very fast, um, but also on sort of the large companies doing their sort of digital transformation efforts. So sort of taking the lessons that, st- that those startups have on how fast they can move to the larger sort of organizations and sort of sharing knowledge between the two has been what I've been finding most interesting uh, over the last few years. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I think, uh, you know, one thing, uh, it's really cool that Theoda has like all these offices across, uh, across the world. That's really awesome. Um, when it comes to digital transformation, what did, what did that look like? Yeah, so it depends. With, with some companies we've worked with, so Admiral is a, um, a very large insurance company in the UK, and they, I think they have some operations over in, in the US as well. Um, when we worked with them, we sort of did the sort of um, entrepreneur uh, sort of model where one of their um, digital leads set up a sort of internal startup in the company, which sort of then spun out of its own company called Vago. And that was sort of providing uh, customers the ability to get car insurance on demand. So if you want to borrow a friend's car for the next few hours, you could get insurance straight through a mobile app in a few clicks and then drive their car straight away. So that was really moving very differently to sort of the traditional Admiral uh, digital delivery. And to do that, uh, they moved away from the model where they have a sort of centralized IT department and these were requests through them to having a dedicated engineering team for that sort of project, that sort of pseudo company inside the larger group. Um, and Theodore provided the initial engineering team to get that project into production and learning from the users really quickly. And then we also helped them upskill and hire developers to build out a full engineering team. And now they sort of have become a sort of independent part of Admiral and working much more as a startup than the sort of larger uh, corporate environments. Is that the normal work that you do or what is a, because I, I noticed that the title is VP of engineering at Theodo. So is it, is it a lot of digital transformation like that? Or what is a normal, a normal work day look like for you? Yeah, it's, it's, it's changed um, over my time at Theodo. I mean, as a company, we're about 80% engineers, full stack engineers working on delivering with our clients. So we're not the sort of traditional uh, consultancy that spends a lot of time uh, doing PowerPoints, let's say. We have teams delivering digital products very quickly with our clients, but having those those developers who are interested in the business side and interested in challenging our clients on meeting the needs of the users, doing user testing, getting features into production, and delivering MVPs very quickly. So we have um, a number of teams working with clients delivering digital products. Um, so we have teams with an architect developer, several developers, and an agile coach uh, delivering very quickly with those clients. And my role as VP of engineering is coaching our technical teams uh, to make sure that we're really focusing on high quality when it comes to the coding 
um, and also has some sales perspectives. And more recently, it's been sort of uh, trying to help share the lessons we're learning in serverless with the community. So Theodo um, has always sort of focused on open source. That's really been our strength. Um, when we came to the UK, we did a lot with React Native, and we still do a lot with React Native. Uh, and that's sort of the the cross uh, Android, iOS way to build mobile applications based off sort of uh, React. Um, and in that, we sort of started the React Native meetup in London, and we still run it to this day. With serverless, we started using it more and more in our projects. Um, and my sort of role has shifted to try and help us internally learn the best way to build with serverless, but also share that out through our serverless transformation efforts, which is a blog, a podcast, a newsletter, a couple of open source projects, um, all trying to share what we're learning internally with the community, as well as running the serverless meetup in London. So yeah, my role's a bit mixed these days and the work day varies between different things, uh, but I'm still coding a fair amount, um, but also helping sort of on the coaching side and a bit sort of supporting our clients on the commercial side. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, I think that the way that, that you talk about actually helping the business value of the clients and, you know, the less PowerPoint, more actual, like getting things done. I think that's awesome. Um, you mentioned again, the, uh, the React meetup, uh, in London. I know that you're doing the serverless, uh, stuff in London when we did the intro just a second ago. And so, uh, did that passion come before Theodo or is this like, is it, it partly mixed into like now you have a platform and you have a stage, uh, to actually give back to the community or where does that, where does that come from? That's an interesting question. It, it's something I think we hire for people who have that passion, whether that's, you know, going to meetups or having a side project or just really having that passion for technology. So enjoying it, not just seeing it as sort of a means to an end is really something uh, that we try and hire for. And we really encourage our developers um, sort of within the first year of working at Theodo to, to speak at a meetup uh, during their time at Theodo to sort of learn those soft skills and sort of, you know, presenting to a group but also giving back the lessons that they're learning and challenging ourselves to try and be excellent in the technologies that we use. Um, it's the React Native meetup that we started in London. Um, and the serverless meetup uh, wasn't one I started, but one I've now co-organized with Ant Stanley, uh, another AWS serverless hero. And it's through the, the community um, that we can really help share what we're learning, but also get the community's feedback on the stuff we're doing uh, and really try and engage on what the new the new ways of working are with the different technologies. So I guess it's somewhat an intrinsic passion for technology. Um, and before I worked at Theodo, I hadn't really had done that much in terms of public speaking. So I guess Theodo gave me the push to sort of start to speak at these meetups. And since I've been doing that, um, I've realized how friendly these tech communities are. The serverless community in particular um, is, is a very friendly community, very open for new people trying to sort of get content out and very supportive. So I think Theodo gave me the push, but I think the communities are so friendly in the in the tech space that it really helps you to want to give back yeah that's fantastic i know that you know i get that i get that same feeling like when you write an article and then sometimes you get a message or something on twitter where someone's like hey this like helped and that and i think that that like helps you know fuel the fire and all those things so i think it's amazing um what was it like to with the aws serverless hero that you got i think a lot of people uh to a lot of people it seems like where does that even come from how did that take place uh do you mind giving some context Oh, so it's a good question. I don't know how much context I can actually give um, from my knowledge. Um, I, before I was an AWS serverless hero, I sort of noticed uh, the heroes in the community and the work they're doing. And I, I worked quite clo with, closely with Ant Stanley on organizing the serverless meetup in London. Um, and then uh, one day I just got an email from AWS uh, asking if I'd want to be part of the program. And I was obviously very happy to, to do that. And that was uh, actually the same week I was speaking at Serverless Days Nashville a little while back. So it was quite a nice coincidence to be able to 
to announce that while I was speaking there. Um, but really, it's, it's a program that helps recognize people who are sort of contributing to the community and trying to encourage that effort. Um, in terms of the process, I, I don't have that much clarity myself on how it works. I guess um, as I start to get more in touch with the guys at AWS, I'll start to understand how the process works. But it's been a really great program so far. It helps sort of um, ensure that uh, I'm able to speak at conferences. It helps me give feedback to the, serv- uh, the AWS serverless teams uh, on the product side. So we have a team at the minute uh, working on SLS DevTools, an open source project, which I think we'll talk about in a little while. Um, but at the minute, they're adding EventBridge support. Um, and I was able to get the AWS EventBridge team on a call um, and sort of give our feedback on how we're finding the tool, talk about you know what they're working on and seeing how we can try and uh, adapt the tool to work work better with EventBridge. So, so far, it's, it seems to be a great program. And I'm very fortunate to be an amazing company with the other people in the program. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, that was something that, you know, was a big question for me. But it sounds like, you know, AWS is like, they sent you an email and then you're just like, you're full on rolling. And I think it's 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 great, too, because like I've seen, I've actually been following you for quite a while before I actually got a chance to formally speak to you. And I've seen like the Nader David panels and all that stuff. Um, so, yeah. So for the community, you know, thanks for putting out so much content and kind of like pushing that out. I actually had a friend. I think you did an event bridge thing yesterday, right? Uh, yeah, I gave a, a talk at the, uh, I think it's the Wales uh, serverless meetup. Nice. Okay, yeah. So I had a friend who actually attended that and they said that was, that was pretty good. So It's very, it's a weird feeling presenting uh, <laughs> alone in your flat rather than at a meetup. But I guess one of the interesting things is as all these meetups are moving to virtual, um, like the audiences, places that haven't had maybe dedicated tech meetups in their area are getting these live streamed events. So I think it's um, some of this virtual meetup stuff I think is going to last uh, going forwards uh, just to provide more people with more contents, which is which is interesting. Yeah, no, that would be a big question I would have as well. I think I've, I'm sure everyone's had these conversations already, but uh, how do you see things, how do you see the landscape changing with like, for instance, meetups and conferences? Do you think we're ever going to get back to these in-person ones or do you think it's going to be remote for the next few years? Uh, yeah, I obviously uh, have a limited limited capacity to, to sort of um, take a guess at that because there's so much uncertainty. But I think, I think um, people are getting, at the minute, uh, forced to, to get good at working remotely, people who traditionally haven't. And for instance, I do work with teams around the world on the product side, but all, our, all the developers uh, at Theater UK are all in London, all in the same office in Soho. So we've, we, we've struggled as a company to try and see okay, how can we keep the social aspects? How can we keep the cultural aspects? And we spent a lot of time trying to, to maintain the sort of bonds and ways of working closely. And the, the agile scrum methodology that we use at Theodore helps us to sort of have good delivery, regardless of being remote or together. But keeping the social side is something we put effort into. And I think that's something that, that's, uh, that comes with the meetups. You know, some people aren't always going to the meetups just for the, the educational side. It's, you know, the social side, seeing other people in the same sort of... Uh, tech space. Um, and I think although the, the educational delivery still happens through the remote events, I guess maybe we miss out a bit on the, on the social side of that. And I think people are experimenting with the formats. I know the um, Serverless Days virtual conference, which is trying to, to give speaking slots to all the people who uh, were supposed to be speaking at Serverless Days conferences and now can't, are experimenting with how they can have you know chat going on live while the presentation's going. The serverless uh, London meetup that we did recently virtually, we had the talks pre-recorded so that the presenters could actually answer questions as the talk went on over the Slack. So I think there's ways of working differently to vir- with virtual events. 
I think previously we've often just sort of put a live stream on YouTube and that's been about it. Um, but I think people are trying to perfect the virtual event delivery. And I think even when, you know, meetups start to happen in person again, whenever that will be, I think people will start to try and have things recorded and live streamed as a default rather than an afterthought. Yeah, that's really cool. I think there's going to be probably a lot of impacts like, uh, you know, downstream if we're recording everything. And do you think there's going to be a lot more uh, people being involved and, um, you know, because we're, we're kind of a global community of people that are working with serverless and the wider software tech community. And then now if everything, like you're saying, is like recorded and able to be uh, seen and people can jump into Slack from any country in the world, um, that seems like there might even be some benefits in that. Yeah, I think that we're going to see some some changes in how that happens. And even from the content point of view, one of the reasons um, I put a lot of effort in and, and Theodore were happy for me to put effort in and time into creating the serverless transformation uh, project it's really that there is still a lack of content in serverless. It's hard to see, okay, here's a company using serverless. This is what they're doing. It works. There's, you know, the big stories about, you know, so-and-so uses serverless. They save some money. So-and-so uses serverless. They're moving quicker. Um, but with some notable exceptions, uh, largely it's hard to try and see, okay, this company that I know uses serverless. This is how they're doing it. These are the challenges they're having and these are the successes they're having. Um, so I think with the move to sort of virtual meetups, it's boosting really the content that's out there. And also a lot more people at the moment, I think, are having the, the time to write and the time to reflect on what they're doing uh, from a technical point of view. So I think we're seeing quite a, a surge in content at the minute, which is always, always reassuring uh, for a tech community. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when it comes to the, the transformation, the serverless transformation stuff that y'all are doing, um, how has, has that changed the way that you think about development at all when you're writing this stuff and with the emergence of serverless? Sorry, I didn't catch that. Has that changed the way? Yeah, has that changed the way that you think about development when it comes to like uh, working with serverless, with the serverless aspect uh, worked in? I think, um, so I see that we've always had a focus on infrastructure as code, be that Terraform or serverless framework, CDK, CloudFormation, whatever it is. Um, but I think with serverless, we've seen infrastructure as code becoming sort of the primary way of sharing the ways we work. Um, internally, we have a, a project generator. So there's a few different stacks that we maintain at Theodore. Uh, for instance, Django or Symfony, especially in France, um, React, React Native, Serverless, of course, um, that we maintain in a, in a project uh, generation tool called Forge, where all the architects across the group from Theodore New York to Theodore France, Theodore UK, all contributes back into this generator, the best practices around security, performance, file structures, whatever it may be. Um, and that's generally worked really well for us to share learnings across the group, really encode the things we learn um, as we all sort of experience more developments. Um, but recently I've been having an interesting conversation with our French team about how, we, how can we share uh, the small pieces rather than the whole architecture. For instance, I'm responsible for the, the serverless projects uh, generation at Theodo, uh, along with other architects in the group. And at the moment, you know, by default, to start a service project, everything's set up with best practices, uh, using the serverless framework, uh, all the concurrencies, timeouts, memory, all of that stuff, DynamoDB, Cognito, authentication, all coming out of the box. But then we were sort of debating, what do we add now? I mean, do we add step functions as a default? Well, probably not. It depends on the project. Do we add um, file upload via S3 as a default. Again, probably not. It depends on the project. But the fact that we can add these things as sort of infrastructure as code components makes us think, how can we share those better as a group? And at the moment, we're working on adding an internal command line tool. So 
the state of the art uh, for us on how to upload a file to S3 in serverless will be a component that we can just use in a project and can be maintained. Um, and in the moment, that's all internal. One day, hopefully, we can make that more open source. And the stuff the serverless framework are doing in terms of serverless components, I think, really shows how powerful this pattern can be. And at the moment, we're not using the serverless components uh, system, but it's something I'm investigating at the minute. But with with serverless and with um, the way infrastructure's code works with serverless, I'm sort of realizing that a lot of learning, which previously was sort of shared by you know pair programming and training, which is still all still super relevant, but a lot of it can be formalized not as blog articles, but as actual infrastructure's code that can be shared and reused. And I think that sharing and reusing of infrastructure's code in a serverless context is what keeps me really excited about the open source projects that are happening in the serverless space. Yeah, that's really well said. I think that, you know, when, when you're creating templates and you're building this stuff, because, you know, we've done it a lot internally at my company as well. Um, and then there's like, you know, all these different repositories out there on GitHub and all these things. But it's sometimes hard, like the thing's already been done, but sometimes it's hard to figure out where it's been done and how you can actually find it and then utilize it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can definitely see where like the bigger that infrastructure's code is, the harder it is for somebody to just pull one piece out of it. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, and that also brings to another question, which is around a project that y'all been working on called SLS Dev Tools. Um, for those listeners out there, what what is this project and and how did it start? Yes, yeah, so SLS Dev Tools is a, a small. Well, it was a small side project that I had. Um, one evening, I was uh, working on a project uh, with another architect, and I was pair programming with him, and he kept jumping back to to the the AWS console, and then back to his code, and back to the AWS console, and back to his code. And another passing architect at Theodo uh, commented, I remember when we coded in the terminal, or I remember when we coded in the ID. Uh, you know, it's a, a funny a funny joke, but it, uh, it triggered me to think, well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're software developers. We have, we have tools built for coding. We, we often, when we're writing backend code, are focusing on writing the actual code and um, maybe deploying through the terminal, you know, committing through Git on the terminal. Um, but why are we jumping to a browser? I mean, that would be normal maybe for front-end development when we're you know, looking at the visual changes, you know, testing the different user paths. But when we're coding backend, why are we jumping to the web browser? Um, and it's because to get feedback on what you're doing, you often need to, to look at the AWS console. But moving to infrastructure as code is really try to get teams off the AWS console for a lot of what they do. And the service framework does do a great job at, at that. And it does have some tooling around, you know, getting the logs and tailing the logs, which can be quite useful. But there's other information you want to see. You want to see Lambda durations. You want to see error counts. You do want to see the server logs. You want those to be hot reloading. Um, and maybe it could be easier to deploy your stack um, rather than reverse searching through your terminal history. Maybe that could be done in one key press. And that's really what triggered the SLS DevTools projects. I toyed around with a, f- a few different ways to build it. But we ended up building it um, using a library called Blessed, which allows us to, to write in uh, JavaScript uh, to build a terminal command line interface. So in, it's a tool that you can install via NPM. So it's, um, just NPM installing it either globally or in your project and then running it on the command line, passing a CloudFormation stack name will bring up a dashboard where you can see um, a line chart of the, the Lambda invocations, hot reloading uh, logs coming through from CloudWatch, the uh, duration in milliseconds of the last five Lambda calls, a list of the, the Lambdas in that stack with the ability to, to, to select those and see stats about them. Um, and more recently, we, we, we've added the ability to deploy a stack or deploy a single function 
um, through the tools. So it's a full page sort of CLI interface that comes up kind of like a dashboard in your terminal. And by selecting one of the Lambda functions and pressing D, it can deploy a single Lambda function or S, it can deploy a whole stack showing you the progress indication on that. And obviously that's all doable through the serverless framework, but this is trying to make it basically trying to reduce the time it takes to get feedback and also to execute commands on your stack. And it also works uh, not just for the service framework, as you mentioned, it works with SAM. Um, and actually, it's configurable to work with really any infrastructure's code tool that you're using, as long as you're deploying to AWS for now. Um, more recently, we've been toying around with, well, on our projects, we've really moved to event-driven architectures when it comes to serverless and using EventBridge. Um, and EventBridge is amazing, but it's it's not a traditional uh, way to to develop. It's there's, there's not an HTTP endpoint that you can call with curl to trigger the backend code or use Postman, it's really you need to inject an event into that event bridge. So what we've added recently is the ability to, to see the event bridges, or sorry, the event buses inside of event bridge in your application, select onto one of those, um, and in pressing I, being able to see a small modal in the terminal where you can type the data you want to in your event, hit enter, and it will inject that event into the event bridge, and you'll see the Lambda function then triggering, and you'll see the new logs. Um, and that's completely repeatable, so it will save the data that you sent from the last event, allowing quite a fast feedback loop. And the team's currently working on, um, and I, I should mention it's a Theodo team maintaining it at the minute, but it's all completely open source with community issues and pull requests. Um, but the team maintaining it at the minute at Theodo is adding the ability to, to integrate with the EventBridge schema, schema registry, which is a really great add-on to, to the AWS EventBridge, which allows you to see the, the schemas for the different events that your team are working with. So the structure of those events and their types as well as allowing uh, schema discovery, which looks at the different events instances that are passing over the event bus and then sort of derives a schema from that. So very quickly, as a developer on a project, you can see a different event bus, quickly access its schema, see the different sort of events. Maybe there's an order placed event or payment success event, and then trigger that. And later on, that's going to have the ability uh, in SLS DevTools to look at a particular event. Um, maybe you've had an issue with it in production, maybe you have an issue in debug, but then be able to re-trigger that as you develop really trying to reduce the feedback loop and save developers time from opening the AWS console. And of course, there's still some stuff you need the AWS console for. And the tool allows you, for instance, uh, to open a Lambda Functions AWS console page in one key press rather than clicking through various pages in the AWS console. So it's very much a, a developer tool for when you're developing to try and reduce the feedback loop. And as I mentioned, it's all open source. The team are, are really excited to get more feedback um, I've already had some great issues so far, and they're trying to close those within seven days. So anyone uh, who wants to check out the project, feel free to and open up an issue or feel free to open up a pull request and the team will, will support you in getting that functionality added or that bug resolved. Yeah, well, that, that, is, that is really cool. Um, I think, yeah, everyone listening, definitely check this out. Uh, I saw a little bit of it. And I think that this is a common consulting thing that we actually do. Um, at Serverless Guru, where we, you know, a lot of companies are maybe they're already working with Serverless. Uh, they already know how to work the cloud. But their developer experience, um, you know, you talked about feedback loop. They'll be on their terminal to do the deployment through AWS SAM or, uh, you know, the CLI or even serverless framework or some other, uh, some other tool. But then when it actually comes to, like you were saying, with like getting logs back, a lot of them are jumping through log groups and there's no connection between those. It's, it's kind of hard to trace down all these different aspects. Um, and there's a lot of little uh, intricacies that every single person on your team has to know about. So I, I like the idea that you know, I'm developing, I'm writing it, I can see all that feedback inside of my terminal. Um, and I think that the, the faster that we can get that, that those connections happening, that I think the, the more efficient, definitely, the developers will be. So that's, that's awesome. And so um, 
what does the future look like for the project? What are y'all, what's on your roadmap for expanding it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very open and it really is a community project. So anyone can really open issues with, with what they think it's missing because I'm sure I'm sure maybe we've, we've not seen some possibilities for it. It's not trying to be an observability product. I think there are great companies like Thundra, Epsigon, Lumigo, um, the Serverless Pro um, tool and uh, AWS Service Lens as well are starting to really give a great... Uh, a great usability to the observability aspects of serverless. Um, so it's not trying to replace those and it never could. Um, it's really trying to be the developer tool um, for serverless uh, development. And that being said, it's not trying to replace the infrastructure's code parts. The way I've tried to explain it uh, to the team who's working on it um, is that it's kind of like um, as a front-end developer, the way you rely on Chrome DevTools. So Chrome DevTools, uh, I guess most people have played around with it at some point in their lives, but it allows you to inspect different DOM elements, edit the CSS, see the JavaScript logs, look at the network requests, actually do performance audits, a load of different things. Um, and I'm kind of seeing it analogous to that, but in the serverless world, the developer tooling that allows you to see, okay, well, this Lambda function, I've added some code, uh, but the cold start time's increased. What, what action can I take to resolve that? Um, the duration of this Lambda function has started spiking since I added this database query. Maybe I need to jump back and look at that. At the minute, a lot of the roadmap is around the EventBridge side, so trying to make EventBridge development uh, as easy as possible, <laughs> mainly because a lot of our projects at Theodore are now completely event-driven um, and based off Amazon EventBridge. So anything that our team, any pain points our teams are seeing and working with that, we're trying to resolve uh, through SLS DevTools and share that with the community. There's some simple stuff around, so at the minute we can deploy stacks. We'd also like to test, run the stack tests from within uh, the CLI tool. And maybe it's a case of integrating with other great open source projects um, around uh, AWS Lambda and other AWS services to try and provide sort of the, the, the one-stop shop for sort of executing changes to your stack, um, spotting issues as you're development, developing and debugging uh, all within the terminal. So really not focusing on building out some sort of web application, but really focusing on helping developers as close uh, to the point at which they wrote the code as possible. Yeah, no, that's really that's really great because um, yeah, I'm in total agreement. I think that the idea of Chrome DevTools has completely changed how web development was done, and I can definitely see like when you when we've been doing some stuff internally where we're been doing like how how hard can we hit a lambda function before it just falls over, mm-hmm. um, and we've been scaling up our our concurrency limits and all that stuff. And there's like things where like lambda functions will like have a burst capacity of like three thousand, but then they'll fall off after that, um, and they have to scale up gradually. So you know, with that being said, we've had to test like all these different load testing tools and there's not like a very straightforward, like there's a serverless, uh, I think that's like serverless artillery or something, but when it comes to actually having that just more packaged together and, and easier for people to not have to go down three different tool rabbit holes to figure out what actually works. Um, I, I think that there's going to be a ton of, uh, really cool gains out of that. Um, I think retry logic as well is a big area of complexity at the moment for, for serverless teams and how can we make that more visible and easier to work with is something I don't know how it would work in the, in the, in the SLS dev tools for now, but it's something I'm trying to think about. And I look forward to you raising some uh, issues on the project, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely look at it. Um, uh, yeah. Cause we're, we're, we're like actively trying to figure out, you know, how do we do some of the things that you're talking about as well? Like how do we improve the way that we develop and how do we make sure that we're being the most efficient? Um, and, uh, and the more things that we have, that are kind of like pre-packaged and like ready to go. I think that that's going to, it, it enhances every aspect. And I think a lot of times, you know, maybe developers want to like create it from scratch. They want to be like, 
you know, some somewhat like putting it together, like the engineering aspect of it, of like finding this tool and making it work. But uh, to some degree, you know, like if you do that for too long and, and you know this, like if you do it for too long, you end up getting behind under deadlines and then there's so much stress. Um, so <laughs> it'll be nice when we have like standardization. So it's it's nice that y'all are, y'all are building that out. And it's been a super fun project as well. I think that's been a lot of the motivation for my pull requests on the weekend. Um, but as a team, we're really... Um, we actually have a Theodore team uh, working on it and have done for the last two weeks at the moment, uh, a couple of developers, uh, Gavin and Mansa at Theodore UK, focusing on trying to add in this new functionality, stabilize the bugs, um, and really trying to sort of take the tool to the next level. So now's the right time to open an issue if you want to. Um, yeah, so congrats on that and growing the team out and actually making this a, a real project. Um, and so I guess like not so much switching gears, but almost just kind of playing into the theme that we've had so far for people that are listening that may be getting started with serverless, um, how do you, if you could start over from scratch, like if you could go back to like day one, you didn't know about that much about cloud or even about fully managed services and you had to start over, would you go about it differently or how would you approach it? I, th- I think with all developments I've done, I think learning by doing is, is the way. Um, I think that used to be scarier um, with the cloud. I remember when I first started with uh, doing things in AWS and thinking about, okay, well, if I spin this server up, how much is this going to cost me? And if I try to play with a bigger database, okay, this could be expensive and the different machine learning services can get expensive very quickly. So the paper use side of serverless can be really empowering to the educational parts. Obviously the, the scalability of serverless can also be scary. Um, and you know, you can, uh, you can rack up a bit of a charge with a very uh, minor error uh, in your code. Uh, as a developer, so as an individual, you know you've got to be careful about putting good safeguards, you know, good alerts, and, and keeping an eye on that. But otherwise, I think the, the cost element of serverless, the fact that it's so cheap to get to do some really advanced stuff, um, I think makes it accessible to people. Um, definitely, learning by using um, an amazing infrastructure as code tool like the serverless framework, but also jumping onto the console. I think the console is something that you know I really advise uh, our projects and our clients to never have any part of their, their product relying on a console change because later on that's just going to really cause a problem for them. It's going to slow down an ability to do CICD. It will slow down the ability to have different environments. Um, but as somebody learning, I think the AWS console is an amazing way to see what you're actually doing, the results of your stack deployments. So you know when you run a, a, a serverless framework deploy, looking over to the cloud, uh, cloud formation uh, part of the AWS console and seeing what actually happens looking into, you know, the different resources that get created. I think the abstract and declarative way we can write service applications is super powerful, but I think it's really important that we know what's happening and that people uh, know the results of the different configuration changes because it's very hard to understand uh, a complete, well, for me at least, my brain finds it hard to, you know, completely trust uh, tools that appear to be magic. Um, but the great thing with things like the service framework is you can see the results and you can see what's happening. And once you sort of understand that, you can see, okay, this declarative abstraction is super useful because it's saving me loads of time. But I'd really, I use these tools, but I'd be focusing on trying to understand the changes they're actually making and playing around with, you know, things like reserved uh, concurrency, provision concurrency, retry logic, trying to see the, the changes that have, that has on a small sort of toy project and then seeing how you can apply that on, on real world projects as you start developing. We're in total agreement there with like the automation side of like once you actually know what you're doing, automation, tooling, SLS dev tools, but and then also like the black box of some of the tools that are out there that you just press 
one button and then magically <laughs> a whole bunch of things connect. Um, and it works, but it's like, <laughs> I have no idea how to approach that. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's great advice. I, I think that's how I started as well was I started with console, took it in phases. Once I understood how to do this, then I moved to trying to do an infrastructure as code tool and then slowly moved up to getting further and further away from doing things manually. Mm-hmm. Um, so what should you, what should you potentially not do when, when learning serverless or learning cloud? Is there any mistake, like common mistakes that, that people might make? Uh, you shouldn't write your own infrastructure as code tool. I've seen people do that because <laughs> um, it becomes, unless you've got a big team around it, it's um, and you, it, you're doing it in an open source way. I think it's uh, a, a huge time sink and not something to spend time on. Uh, although it's fun, I think we have that tendency as developers, and maybe I'm guilty a bit with SLS dev tools. And I think it's something you alluded to earlier of, well, you know, I'm an engineer. I want to, you know, play around and build a tool to, to solve this problem. I think really, um, I mean, the whole idea of serverless is, is about sort of offloading more responsibility to your cloud provider, be that through, you know, running your compute with AWS Lambda or using um, an identity as a service tool like Cognito inside of AWS or Okta outside of AWS. I think the mistake you can make is not is to try and reinvent the wheel and not just try and leverage services that are already there. Um, and I think it's difficult because serverless is like this very abstract term that's morphed into meaning many different things to many different people. And it's something I've written about a bit. Um, and it's something sort of the first chapter of the service transformation book covers in more detail. But I think for someone trying to un- trying to come in and be like, okay, cool, serverless, okay, there's a serverless framework, okay, that lets you deploy Lambda functions. So is this Lambda function serverless? Well, no, it's not. It's a whole bigger concept about, you know, um, offloading responsibility to the, to the cloud provider, pay-per-use, scalability, all these different aspects. And I think I think you need to start with something concrete. I think if you try and you know read all the sort of abstract blog articles that people post about what serverless means, I think you'll get lost very quickly. I think start pragmatically, deploy a Lambda function, play around with an infrastructure as code tool, but then go back and read those articles about you know what serverless is, where it's come from, what the term's starting to mean. Because I feel like once you ground yourself sort of in the practicality of <laughs> deploying something, you can then read the, the sort of abstract views around the concept and sort of see the value proposition serverless has a lot more clearly. Because I think it's something people find hard to understand. I mean, developers find hard to understand. Um, I spend a lot of time talking to startup CTOs, um, CIOs, CEOs of large companies about you know their digital transformation efforts. And I mean, a lot of the time I use the term cloud native or try to explain it slightly differently because serverless is... I think it's really got us to, to, the, to this point, and I think it's a great north star for people to walk towards once they sort of have seen seen the value that this this idea of serverless gives them, not to sound too pretentious. Um, but I think it's something, if you just spend all your time reading the sort of conceptual elements of it, you'll find it quite hard. And if you just focus on coding straight away and just coding yourself and trying to to learn it's going to be difficult i think you need to ground yourself in the practicality of you know deploying some basic lambda functions playing around with the code before you then go on to to read about the sort of conceptual side of it and then see the potential that it has and and i think with any tech trend it's important to read the sort of conceptual side to see where it's going to something like um amazon eventbridge it was quite useful to try and figure out okay well some sort of event driven it's kind of useful to figure out that this whole sort of movement was going to become more event-driven by looking at the sort of conceptual pieces that were were written a few years before EventBridge was a thing because that allowed people to, you know, 
ground themselves in event-driven architecture, uh, make sure they understand the conceptual side and the domain-driven design side. And then when tooling like uh, Amazon EventBridge came out, they were ready to take advantage of that. So I think it's a case of grounding in the practicality, uh, reading about the conceptual, so you're able to see where it's going to in the future. Because I'm sure serverless in five years is going to be very different to serverless right now. Wow. All right. Well, I think I don't, I'm not going to add anything to that because I think that was really well said. Um, as we're wrapping up the contest, do you have any shout outs or anything that you want to promote? Um, well, the, the service transformation site, uh, serverless-transformation.com, uh, which just reroutes to a, a medium publication, uh, is starting to have a lot more articles being posted and not just by me these days. Um, I've got a great interview of Bob Gregory, who's the chief architect at Kazoo, talking about how they're doing event-driven architecture. Another architect at Theodo, uh, Rob Cronin, has recently written an article about how he reduced uh, CI time on serverless projects from 40 minutes to seven minutes, which is a really great read. And more and more articles by different people are starting to be posted there talking about how they use serverless, what they use it for, architectural patterns. Um, recently, I've posted more about how we sort of do workshops around architecting serverless architecture. So give that a give that check that out. Um, and SLS DevTools, of course, any more feedback, uh, just open a GitHub issue. Um, we're really happy to work with you on making this tool amazing. Uh, would be super helpful. And otherwise, feel free to follow me on Twitter at LBBen, where I post a lot about what we're doing at Theodo and um, a lot about my thoughts around serverless and resharing a lot of content by uh, people from the community. Fantastic. Thanks again, Ben, uh, for being our guest. It was great to have you on. Uh, no worries. Thanks so much, Ryan. It was really great chats. Uh, to those listening, this has been the Talking Serverless Podcast with Ryan Jones. If you like our show and you want to know more, check out TalkingServerless.io or please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And of course, join us next time as we sit down with another fantastic serverless guest.